Hey folks and welcome back to another Blue Light podcast. I'm Brendan from Blue Light and this is the only place you need to be to find out all you need to know about police recruitment and increasingly I'm adding something for serving officers as well because I know that so many of you have succeeded in my recruitment uh, courses and now in the police you're serving and some of you have been serving for several years. So increasingly I'm adding something of interest to yourself. So today I think there's something for everyone. Uh, So one of the questions I've posed in the title of this is, are we getting too woke and are we forgetting that actually we do need to arrest people as police officers? Now, I was inspired for this podcast by um, two things I heard of this week. One of them is Greater Master Police's new Chief Constable, Stephen Watson, who's talked about how he says the public are fed up with virtual signalling police officers. And also an Assistant Chief Constable from a force I shall not name at the moment, because although I believe that the information is true, I don't want to actually... Uh, uh, until it's firmed up now let's just put it that way until it's firmed up this is my inner cop not wanting to talk about something uh, that I'm not quite sure I'm like 95% sure that this occurred but anyway this uh, assistant chief constable asked a group of new recruits what they thought their role was going to be and actually not one of them said that their role involved arresting people apparently walked out rather furious <laughs> muttering under his breath things like so what are recruitment recruiting these days um reminded me of the old years back in the 80s and 90s uh, so anyway uh, when i say that i mean stomping accs walking down corridors angry and muttering about stuff I, I used to be a staff officer for an acc so i know um kind of how they can react when they get a little bit upset about something anyway So back to Stephen Watson. Really interesting what's going on here in GMP because um, it seems to sort of, the pendulum swings from one side to another. Um, You have someone who's very collaborative and very sort of um, involving people in their approach. And then, like Ian Hopkins, the previous chief constable, and and like... um, uh, Peter Fahey, the chief constable before him. Uh, but then you go all the way back to the likes of Mike Todd, bless his soul, who uh, passed away on the uh, Snowdonia, uh, tragically, um, many years ago. I can't remember the exact year. I think it must have been around 2005, something like that. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but now we've we've got a new chief constable, Stephen Watson, who reminds me, actually, a little bit of Mike Todd. Uh, it's that very sort of... Um, pragmatic approach, uh, the, the sort of strong leader from the front, making it really clear what police officers will be doing and won't be doing. And I've got to say, I do agree with some of what he's got to say, but I'm also going to question some of it because he's making a big deal out of some things that I'm, I don't think really need a big deal making out of them. Not at this point and not where GMP actually is at the moment. Um, I'm not a chief constable, though, and it's not for me to comment on his operational decision-making, but uh, I'm not sure if the public really is fed up with virtual signalling police officers. And actually, I don't see a lot of virtual signalling police officers. So every now and then you'll see something on Twitter about a police officer taking a knee, or you'll see police officers at Pride uh, celebrating the fact that they can be openly gay and not be abused for it. Now, some of you might remember the likes of Sergeant Julie Frank, who was a pioneer for LGBT rights within the police service. I knew Julie very well. And once again, you know, rest in peace, Julie. Julie's passed away, sadly. Um, But the work that she did just 20 years ago 
was frankly inspiring. And it has led to us being in the the position now where officers can be open about their sexuality and not fear abuse. And the abuse, I've got to say, even back then, just 20 years ago, was was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. So I I don't think it's anything to do with virtual signalling. I just think it's something to do with celebrating the, the, the path that the police are on to become more a part of the community as opposed to apart from the community. I mean, you know, please feel free to disagree with me at any point. But I think there's something there about the police being more a part of the community and feeling like they're a part of the community and feeling comfortable with representing the part of the community they're from. And but I do, you know, I do recognise that there's a need for impartiality. But I think when there's comments about um uh, wearing, taking a knee, wearing pins, badges, or rainbow shoelaces. I do feel like, come on, Chief Constable, you're taking us back into the 90s here. Um, also talk about uh, slovenly people will not flourish in a future GMP in a bid to improve the dress code. Well, improve the dress code by improving the uniform then, because the uniform that GMP officers wear now, I remember it fondly. It was very comfortable to wear. You didn't have to iron it. All you need to do was wash it and stick it in the tumble dryer. And it looked awful. <laughs> it didn't look smart at all. It's, it's nothing to do with slovenly people. It's got a lot to do with the actual uniform. Anyway. I'm ranting on here, aren't I? But I'd urge some caution here for my GMP colleagues of old and for those of you who are new in GMP, because he's also talking about each division would identify their top 10 drivers of demand and then create a plan to make those things go away. Well, I remember um, many years ago, Mike Todd, like I said, he, you know, bless his soul, I thought a lot of him, I thought he was an awesome leader. But he did introduce GRIP. Uh, this was the uh, the performance management system that the police had in Greater Manchester back then. And it involved things like top 10 criminals, top 10 drivers, top 10 things, uh, things that needed to be targets. And then they turned into targets. So be cautious, folks. Please be really cautious there because... It, it, he's, he's talked about create a plan to make those things go away. I can make any crime go away. I can make any problem go away. I can make it go away overnight. I worked in Greater Manchester Police during the dark years of target-based policing, where you were almost uh, reassured and, 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 and encouraged to juke the stats, to cook the books. I could make any crime go away. I'd just reclassify it as something else. And all I'm doing is just nudging the legislation a little bit. I'm just nudging the definition of what that crime might be. It's all open to interpretation. So I could take a burglary where a boiler's been stolen from um, a house that's unoccupied and turn it into a theft other. It's still being recorded. It's still being investigated. It's just not a burglary anymore. See how simple it is? So you can also do the same thing with assault. You can do the same things with uh, attempt attempt theft of a vehicle or attempt uh, attempting to uh, break into a vehicle, turn that into a criminal damage. Same thing with attempt burglary. You can turn that into a criminal damage. You can make those things go away, but whether you choose to make them go away ethically or you choose to make them go away perhaps not so ethically, is within your gift, police officers. So this, I think, is why GMP is in the mess it was in anyway. What is it, 80,000 crimes that hadn't been recorded? 
Well, when you've got senior officers who are encouraging you not to record crimes and to cuff them using old terminology that some of you may not have heard of, then don't be surprised when those sort of scandals emerge. I mean, the scandals around um, young girls being sexually abused in Greater Manchester. I can remember protecting one of them, eventually making such a fuss um, about how I was going to serve a police protection order on her every time she walked out the children's home, that eventually I managed to force social services to have a joint meeting to find out what's best for her. And we got moved away from Greater Manchester to somewhere where she was less likely to be predated upon. Predated upon? Is that the right word? Uh, there were predators, you know, hunting her down and seeking her out and abusing her sexually. She was only 16. Um, and I remember getting a bit of a ticking off for that, because what's that got to do with our current targets? So that that's the mess that GMP got itself into, all because of the top 10 drivers of demand. So let's be cautious about this, folks, and let's make sure that we do things ethically, we do things properly. And we don't cross the line. I'm not suggesting for one moment that I did anything unlawful. But here's, you know, hands up. I think I probably did a few things that were bordering on unethical. But when you've got your bosses persuading you and encouraging you to do those things, and it's hard to just stick your head above the parapet. I mean, I stuck my head above the parapet a few times and got absolutely a strip torn off me for it. You know, Inspector O'Brien, why aren't you doing anything about the thefts of... um, thefts from the ASDA well because it's not important (laughs) there's more important things to deal with yes but it's impacting on our figures yeah and (laughs) and yeah but look at it look at the thefts from the ASDA that you've got on your patch yeah they need to do something about it then don't they and I'm encouraging them to do something about it I'm encouraging them to use their security officers to or employ more security officers to stop that and there's encouragement to get your PCSOs to patrol ASDA and I refused to do it and that did not make me popular with one or two superintendents. But you see the games they play. Or I had a petrol station that had an enormous amount of drive-offs from there. People who filled the, 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 the car with petrol and then just drove off. I remember speaking with a manager who said, I'm not bothered. I'm not interested. I can sell a cup of coffee and I can recoup the costs. All I've got to do is just report it to you and get a crime number and my accountant can make sure that we get all the taxes back on the fuel that we've purchased. He just wasn't interested. So if he's not interested, why should I be interested? (laughs) But the pressure to do things like park a police car on the forecourt, I mean, really? What on earth is that all about? I remember making those representations to um, Sir Peter Fahey, the Chief Constable, when he came out on patrol with me and yeah, it, I remember him saying it's just it's just really hard to turn this oil tanker around. This target-based culture is really difficult to change. And I remember thinking, you're the chief constable. If you can't change it, I might as well get my coat. Anyway, I did. <laughs> a couple of years later, I got my coat because I just thought, I can't do this anymore. This is just bonkers. It's just insane. So anyway, I've got that off my chest, haven't I? But I don't think there's anything here that uh, Stephen Watson's saying that's particularly encouraging me that GMP aren't going to repeat the mistakes of the past. Um, And all that stuff about being woke. I I don't know, I've not met that many woke police officers in GMP. I think they do a really difficult job in really difficult circumstances. Um, However, I I do kind of agree with one thing. it, It just got me thinking. That ACC who went in, spoke to some new recruits and said... So what sort of things do you expect to be doing? 
Well, I decided to duplicate that. And uh, I duplicated it on one of my interview webinars. So for those people who've got an Enforce interview coming up or a final interview coming up, I run interactive webinars for them. It builds on the online course that I provide, and it's got an amazing success rate. It's an amazing success rate. Actually, I'll put a link below. So if you want to find out more about that, then there's a link below if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook. Or if you are listening to this on the podcast, um, if you want to find out more, just search out the Blue Light Facebook groups. So if you search in Facebook groups for Blue Light and Police Recruitment, you'll find the one for Police Recruits. And if you want to find the one that's going to serve you best as a serving officer, then search for Development Cadre. So just Blue Light and Development Cadre, and it'll bring that group up for you as well. Thousands of officers. There's just over 20,000 officers collectively in the groups that I run, which is just incredible. Um, so come and join Come and join that community. It's an amazing community. Friendships are made in those communities that have been really strong ones. People share houses, and I think there's been one or two relationships that have happened as well. I'm just waiting for the first Blue Light wedding to take place. Anyway, uh, back to the point. Um, I decided I'd ask this group a question. One of the, it's the sort of question that you'll get asked at your Enforce interview or your final interview. And, and that question is, what sort of tasks or roles do you expect to be um, doing in a year's time? Should you be successful in joining the police? What sort of tasks, what sort of things do you think you'd be doing in a year's time? And so uh, I spent a few minutes on this and from around the room I got things like reporting crime, investigating crime, dealing with domestic violence, uh, road policing, dealing with road traffic collisions, uh, dealing with drugs. My force has got a big operation on about drugs, uh, visiting schools, dealing with mental health, dealing with vulnerable people, dealing with sudden deaths, neighbour disputes. It went on and on and on. Not one person mentioned that they're going to have to actually arrest people. And so I made that point. I said, look, you know, one of the things that's going to be your bread and butter is arresting people, people who have harmed the community or harmed individuals, either because they've taken or stolen property or they're dealing drugs or they've committed acts of violence or they've committed public order offences or they've committed a whole range of different offences that ultimately harm the community or harm specific individuals in the community. It's your job to bring them to justice. And one of the ways you're going to do that is by arresting them because once you make that arrest other powers kick in a power to search the individual a power to search their vehicle power to search their house or their dwelling wherever it is they're living their tent even if it's a tent you've got a power to search it the police and criminal evidence act gives you awesome powers you just need to be confident in their use and it got me thinking that actually a lot of these officers they looked a, looked a bit astounded, not these future officers. They looked a bit astounded when I actually said, look, a big part of what you should be doing is arresting people. And then one of them even piped up and said, in my force, I went to a webinar. And the first thing the HR officer said was, if you think being a police officer is about making arrests, uh, then you're wrong. And it's not the job for you. I think they said just making arrests, but... Okay, I get that. There's a lot more to policing. I know that because I served for 28 years in three different forces and one of, one of those forces was in a different country. But it's a big part of what you're going to be doing. You're going to be making arrests. You're going to be taking away people's liberty so you can investigate an offence which you believe they've committed. 
Now, I know you could do that by summons as well, and there's code G to determine whether the arrest is absolutely necessary or not. And I get all of that, and I think it's amazing legislation, and you make it work for you and make it work for the communities that you serve. It's awesome, awesome legislation. But I started thinking, I wonder if we're losing that skill that I used to call street craft. I just wonder to what extent is that going? You know, the sort of thing I used to say to my sergeant, I used to say, right, sergeant, I'm off to arrest someone. And he'd go, who are you going to arrest, Brendan? I said, I I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to go and find someone. I'm going to go find someone who's either committed crime in the past or is committing crime now. And I'd come back two hours later. I'd be there there shouting up on the radio, "Can can you clear a space, please? I've just arrested one four. And it's not that hard if you use your powers and it's not that hard if you know what you're looking for and it's those little clues out on the streets that person who just looks at you in a way that you think hang on a minute what was that look about or they don't look at you or some there's all sorts of things there's all sorts of little clues i should do a little webinar on uh, street craft the things to look for uh, even the things to look for in vehicles so uh, there's been research on this that's proved proved that this is true that people who do small wrong things are more likely to do big wrong things so I used to look for back in the day I'd look at tax discs uh, I'd walk down the street every car I walked past I'd look at the tax disc I know they don't have tax discs anymore but they'd be, they'd be the equivalent of and this is when I was on foot patrol. And no, you're going to say, oh, we don't have time for foot patrol anymore. We're too busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old busy excuse. Well, you can do that if you want. You can just go to work in the police and you can just get sent to all the jobs that you get sent to and just deal with everything that you do. And you'd be doing a fine job. Or you can spend a few moments every now and then just looking around you and thinking, what's going on at the moment? And so the tax this thing. You could get out of a car and just walk down the street. It takes you a few minutes. Just look at all the different vehicles and just think, what's out of place? What's out of place with these vehicles? There's all sorts of things you can look for for uh, cars that have been rung. But get, then again, that's another subject. Rung cars are ones that have got a number plate on it that don't belong to that vehicle. So I'd be looking for tax discs that have been altered, ones that have been stolen and been altered, fraudulently used, because people who do small wrong things do big wrong things. And it always paid dividends. One in every four occasions or so, I'd have a, I'd enter someone's house and it'd be like Aladdin's cave. There'd be all sorts of stuff there, which is evidence of further offences. Managed to arrest someone who was wanted for murder uh, in Scotland as a result of a dodgy tax disc. So look, this stuff is the bread and butter of policing. I still believe it's the bread and butter of policing. And, and let's not forget this. Using your powers to hunt down those people who are committing crime or have committed crime bringing them to justice, but at the same time, thinking about what you can do to prevent them from further committing crime in the future. So what is it that's causing them to commit crime? What is it that's causing them to commit crime? And what can you do in that moment to offer one act of kindness, one act of kindness that's going to make a difference to their life on that day? When you've got this opportunity in front of you to do something for that person that's going to help them stop committing crime. So I don't think there's anything new that Stephen Watson's talking about, about virtual signalling. And, we, you know, we're getting a bit too woke. And I think people just want the police to go out and lock up burglars. It all sounds a bit 1980s and 1990s to me, that. I think there's something more work we can be doing here around... Um, 
once we've found that person who we believe is committing crime and a lot of the time you know it, you know guilty until proven guilty you know it's under, not guilty until they're proven guilty but you are going to pretty much know aren't you in many cases because the banter rights to use an old phrase absolute banter rights and they know the bank they know the banter rights as well so what can we do to stop them from doing whatever it is that's doing because a lot of their behavior is going to be fueled by things like drugs mental health unemployment um their past behaviors their past role models uh, and it's going to be complex these are individuals who've got complex backgrounds so what can you do on that day to help them now there's a lot of forces out there they've got some awesome schemes thames valley have got them uh, durham have got them i believe evan and somerset have as well um these are schemes where as opposed to charging someone they'll put them on a program to try and help them with the causes of the crime that they committed uh, violent crime drug related crime and if at the end of the program if they comply with it then the charge sheet's torn up uh, with with some approval i suppose if it's a violent crime from the victim but um they don't go to court for it that's it it's been dealt with it's been sorted i'd like to see more chiefs talking about that sort of thing i'd like to hear more chiefs talking about what are they going to do not just to reduce the top 10 drivers of cry, of 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 uh, demand but really get on un- uh, really get under the skin of these issues and and think long term because those sort of issues aren't going to get cured over the next few weeks but i know that's what's going to happen if you create a top 10 drivers of demand and we've got to reduce it what you'll get is very short termism i might be wrong i hope i'm proved wrong but my guess is you'll get a lot of short termism in terms of targets they won't be called targets they'll be called things like performance measures or milestones or something because they don't want to introduce the phrase targets but they'll just dress it up as something else or perhaps i'm being too cynical i don't know let me know what do you think so there's um perhaps there's another podcast in this another video because one of the phrases which i found quite inspirational years ago was one from um bishop desmond tutu who used to talk about it's time to stop pulling people out the river we need to get further upstream and find out why they're falling in and then prevent them from doing so i don't think i've got the exact wording right but i'll I'll read it out to you again so you can just get the gist of it it's time to stop pulling people out the river you know the people who uh, almost at the end of their tether uh, we need to do something about it earlier a lot of forces call it early intervention we need to go further upstream to where they're falling in find out why they're falling in and then prevent it now i think we can go one step further i think we can be even more ambitious than that so what if when we get to that point where they're falling in if we could leave some officers there and some partners there to help prevent them falling in as they arrive at the river's edge but then we forge a new path to the metaphorical village or town or city that they're coming from because everyone who's coming to fall in the river is coming from a place they're coming from a neighborhood so what if we could find a way to get to that neighborhood and once there enable the community to build such a strong cohesive place to live where they feel happy, where young people grow up in an environment where they are far less likely to become influenced by crime and become those who commit crime, where they're so happy, so content with their lot, that they don't feel the need in the first place to go to the river's edge. And even if they did, once they get there, they'd find a fence that's been built by their own community to stop them falling in. 
that's where I think the future is. And I think it's it you could still combine that with the need to bring people to a justice by arresting them. Now, I welcome your comments on this, folks. And you might be thinking, who is it that said that second bit? You know, Bishop Desmond Tutu talked about stopping, you know, we've got to stop pulling people out of the river. We've got to find out why they're falling in and prevent it. Who is it that talked about that going that one step further? Well, it's me. That's my phrase. And it's one that I've used and it's one I'm experienced in. So, I spent a lot of my time as a neighbourhood inspector tackling organised crime gangs, tackling those who are harming the communities the most, and that involved arresting them, bringing them to justice, sending them to prison. But at the same time, that gap that's left, that vacuum that's left by those illegitimate leaders being removed from that community, if it's not filled with a strong, cohesive community, it just gets filled with more people like the ones that you've just arrested. So you're actually getting nowhere. You're actually getting nowhere. The hard work, the hard work, the secret is in making those arrests, bringing those people to justice, dismantling and destroying the organised crime networks and replacing that vacuum with strong, cohesive community, with more legitimate leaders within the community. This is really, really difficult policing, folks. This is the hardest policing I ever did. The organised crime bit was walking the park compared to building and enabling a strong community. And you might be thinking that's going to be really hard to do and it's going to take time. Yes, it is. I'd be thinking in years, not months and weeks, years, years, because I knew the demand would drop if we invested and focused on the people in that community and helped support them to be the best version of themselves they can be. So I'm going to leave you on that one, folks. I've covered quite a lot here, haven't I? From woke policing to making arrests to being really crystal clear about what your role is going to be when you actually join the police to something that I think we should be having as an ambition that's a little bit more than top 10 drivers of demand and let's make sure that we're not slovenly and um, I'm not going to take the knee. Come on, let's, let's have a better conversation about what policing needs to be going into the future. Hopefully this has inspired a few of you and uh, hopefully some of you agree with what I've said and hopefully some of you disagree as well because I want the debate to continue and like I said, if you want to um, be part of that debate then please do join the Facebook groups this is the sort of place where we can discuss these sort of issues especially for those of you who are looking to go on to the next rank because if you want to be an inspector you've got to stand out and standing out means that you need to be prepared for the future, whatever that future is going to look like. All right, folks. Well, listen, I'll see you soon at the next uh, video for those of you watching this on YouTube and Facebook. And for those of you who are listening to this on podcast, awesome that you could join me. I hope you'll join me at the next one next week. I'll speak to you soon, folks. Bye bye for now. <laughs>